Uh, we are in week six of our collection movement, and it's been a lot of fun. I hope you've enjoyed it uh, because it's really cool to come together and hear all of the diverse backgrounds. But sometimes when it comes to church, you're like, what's expected of me? Right? Because some of us come from Baptists or, or Assembly of God or Church of Christ, Church of God, Episcopal, uh, Catholic. You know, you just the list kind of just goes on and on. We have all these different backgrounds and rituals and traditions. And there's nothing wrong with any of that because it's all kind of built off of Jesus. But then sometimes we'll replace Jesus with tradition. And that's when it kind of gets ugly. Uh, and so we, it comes to the question that we beg. It's like, what is required, right? Because Jesus, when he came, if it's built off of him, he said, it's the way. Like before it was called the church, it was called the way. And the way requires motion. If it wasn't, motion wasn't required, it would be called the spot, right? You just come here, come to this spot, and you're done, right? No, it's the way, meaning that you have to be active. And so it requires movement. And so that's why we're talking about movement. So what is the mint in the move? How are we supposed to operate? What is actually required of us? And so I've said it to be, I feel like it's this way, and it's why we chose this artwork, is that I feel like the church is like a kaleidoscope, right? It's a full of a bunch of different people in their own unique ways, working together, shining, you know, letting Christ's light shine through us, and we're moving together, and it makes this beautiful thing, such a simple technology and it's, but it's beautiful, right? And so just saying the word kaleidoscope, you were envisioning in your head when you were a kid and looked through it and how amazed you were uh, behind it, right? But it's all part of it. I feel like the church should be that way, right? And so when we started this collection, I said, when you're in the middle of something, so if like if you have a career, a job, and you're already in something, like something's not working, you have to work back before you can work forward, right? And so for the first four weeks, we did that. We worked backwards, and we discussed four things that I believe, no matter what church you're in, it cannot exist in that church. So some of the things we hit on was spiritual complacency, empty worship, uh, one of our favorite topics when it regards to other people, hypocrisy, we talked about that, uh, and we talked about pride, specifically spiritual pride. And then last week, I said, okay, we hit those four things, now let's start moving forward. I can't speak for every other church. All I can speak for is Village Heights. That Village Heights, our core values is what is required of us. We feel like this is the bare minimum down to, because I believe Jesus was a minimalist. He came and he said, guys, you're overcomplicating this. Let, let's draw this down. Let's, this is what's required, right? And so we've kind of built it off of that. So, of course, our first core value is Christ, being Christ-centered. Uh, and so today we're going to move on to the next one from there. And so now that we know that we need to be Christ-centered because it's his church, he's like having a party that it was his party. He didn't invite the person that it was their party, right? So it's, it's Jesus. It's his church, right? But what does that look like? So we know individually, if we have Christ inside of us, it causes us to love and, and, and treat people differently. But as a corporate body, as a community, what does that look like? How do we operate? What is the visual? Because humans tend to believe the most enjoyable place is in their own bubble, right? So we create these bubbles in our life, and you're like, I don't do that. You do, right? At home, that's your bubble, okay? It's in your car, 
That's your bubble, right? You, you listen to the music that you like. Uh, you drive the car that you like. When you go to your house, you watch the TV shows that you like, and you light the candles that you like, right? Eat the food that you like. That's all your bubble. And you're thinking, no, I don't find comfort in that. When the power goes out in your bubble, you freak out. You're like, no, what am I going to do? I'm not comfortable anymore. Because we find confidence and we find security in the predictable. If we can predict our bubble, we find like it feels like we're in control of our universe, right? We find comfort in that. But unfortunately, predictability is a false reality of control because it can all change. And being in Houston, you come to know that well when a hurricane comes. It can all change immediately, right? Even without a, a storm, a pandemic, it can all change. All of a sudden, your bubble is not so comfortable anymore. So it's a lie that we tell ourselves. But throughout Scripture, we find that the world's most changing events all happened in kind of the same geographical spot. So there weren't, there weren't planes. There weren't cars. They had boats. You know, that's why, you know, Jesus, he walked around, the Jesus sandal, that's why you know, I got coined, the Jesus sandal, he, he started that. He rode a donkey sometimes, right? But essentially, it was kind of all in the same area. And so that and the fact that he comes, right, in representation of God, and they knew God already, and so they already had an idea of what Jesus should be. But he was far from predictable, he was actually so unpredictable, he made believers mad because they thought, you're coming here, you're supposed to do something a certain way, and this is what I expect, and he is not doing that at all, right? So he is disrupting how they thought the, the creator was supposed to ask, act in their context. He was breaking the box they thought they had got in, which upset them, understandably so. And so we challenge... <coughs> This idea of only one way of doing it, being comfortable in, in, in ministry and how we do things in church, by our second core value, and that's being community-crafted. And so I say community-crafted, and that sounds like, oh, that's, that's a fun word, right? That sounds cool to have. You know, you'd, you'd put that on your, your dating profile. I'm community-crafted. <clears throat> but this is what we define it as. Community crafted. We are engineered with Houston in mind. With great authenticity, we are committed to maintaining our partnerships in the community and creating outlets that fit the needs of those around us. So we do this built on a principle that we learned in church planting. Uh, anything, you're starting a new company, you're a missionary to a different country, this is a principle you have to follow. Because when you go somewhere, you have something to offer, right? And you want them to care about what you're having to offer, right? But they're not going to care about what you care about until you care about what they care about first. Because think about it this way. When you, if you go on a first date and that date only talks about themselves, you're like, I'm glad that I was able to date you and you could date you, but who's going to date me, right? Because you don't care about anything about me. So if we came to this community and we... We put up a sign and said, guys, we got it figured out. Come, come talk to us. Change for us. They would go, we don't care, right? And they're like, they would dismiss us. But we found the principle to be, first, we're going to come care about what you care about. So then maybe eventually you'll care about what we care about. 
We show that we care. I believe Jesus modeled this principle well. Uh, One of the examples that we find is when he encountered the woman at the well. He was very good at figuring out what a way, a way to communicate to people. Because again, he didn't do what people expected. He didn't just go post up in a synagogue and said, hey guys, if you want to know how to get to God, come here. That was already happening and it wasn't effective. And so what he did is he went to the areas where he wasn't expected. He went to different towns. Sometimes he got to go to some cool parties and that was, that was great. Did some cool wedding miracles. That, that's awesome. Um, but then he went to the areas that were off the beaten path, the places that people avoided, amongst the sick, the unwanted. He went, he went and befriended the thing that we still don't like, tax collecting. We, we don't like tax collectors then. We don't like them now. But he befriended them. He went out of his way to be community crafted. You, you see what I'm saying? So when he encountered the woman at the well, He didn't say, hey, I'm the Lord and you should listen to me. He didn't say that immediately. Actually, it was out of the social context that they should even be speaking to each other because she was a Gentile and he was a Jew. So in the social parameters, she should have walked off, not even looked at him. He should not have acknowledged her existence because in their terms, she was below him, right, as a human. And so... He decided, I'm going to meet this woman where where she's at, and I'm going to talk to her about something that she knows. So he talked to her about water. That's the first thing he spoke, water. Like, because everybody needs water, and they're there for water. They're at a well, and he says, I can give you the living water. And she's like, what is that, right? And so they begin to work out this conversation. And she's like, why should I trust you? And then he reads her mail, because he's God. He knows everything, right? And he says, he says, what about, you know, she's like, I'm going to take this back to my husband or something. And he goes, well, what about the other ones? And he's like, wait a minute. She's like, wait a minute. You know about the other ones kind of thing? And he's like, I know a lot. And you should probably listen, you know, I can give you something, right? So he met her where she was at and spoke to her in a way that she could understand. Uh, Christ, it was very community crafted, and he was never really a come to me and change. He came to you and he said, here's a reason to change. I'm going to meet you where you're at. Jesus had this unique quality that needs to be resurrected in the church. It really does. It's more emulating to the way than it actually is the church. So a specific story of why we find this in Jesus and kind of what makes him tick is a story where the disciples were actually concerned for him. Again, he was traveling, and if you've ever gone on a hike, you know at the end of the hike, you're very hungry, right? And so essentially that's what they did. They just hiked everywhere doing ministry. And so the disciples were hungry, right? And so as humans... Just like y'all, you know, you get hangry, right? When you're hangry, you only think like five minutes ahead of like how fast can I get to a Chick-fil-A or, or whatever, maybe Burger King, whatever your, 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 your thing is, right? And, uh, and so they're kind of in this moment. So the disciples have a, they kind of confront him. And Jesus being who G- Jesus is, he's just like, you use any opportunity to teach and, and to like kind of wow them and kind of uh, do a Jesus juke, what I, what, I, what I call it. So in John 4, 31 uh, through 34, he says, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. They're like looking at him like, where are you hiding it? And then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will 
of him who sent me to finish his work. The disciples were worried about their grumbling tummies, worrying about consumption, being human, right? No, don't feel terrible about that. That's just part of who we are. And they worry about more about taking care of themselves. But Jesus was more worried about contributing to others than he was about feeding himself. This was an attribute of him that kind of like rocked people's worlds, a way of living that kind of messed up the, the balance, helping nourish others beyond their own understanding and beyond themselves. This nature goes against our nature, our selfish nature. So it's kind of like a, a, if you're saying, well, I'm not selfish. Were you two-year-old at one time? Yes, you were. And if you were, you were selfish. Because if you've ever met a two-year-old, nobody has to teach them to be selfish. They just are. They just, they just exist that way. Now, I love kids. I love your toddlers. I love them all. But they are selfish. That's just how it is. Because they, they become self-aware in that time. They realize that they can have a free will and they can ask and take the point where they, they come and tell you when they need to be changed, you know, it's kind of like, it's like, you kind of know what's going on. Why isn't this working, right? And so they're selfish. Like, they, they want, they're like little booger-eating crackheads. At, at some point, you're like, well, how are, the, are you possessed? Where are the demons at? Boy, you know, that kind of thing. That's the way I felt about my kids at some times. They're perfect. I love them now. You know, I loved them then. But, you know, you, you, you don't have to teach a kid to be selfish. Here's the truth. That selfishness is still inside of you. You just learned how to be more socially acceptable in your selfishness. You learned how to coexist with others because if we all acted like two-year-olds, nothing would ever get done. We would still, we would be struggling to finish anything. It's just still in us because I know if I pushed you to your limit outside of your social bounds, you will snap and revert to a toddler. I did it this week, Okay. Uh, earlier this week, uh, so like the World Series coming, I'm super excited about it. And we have this, we have a backyard. And at the time, if you've been to my house, it has like this whole rock pebble thing, little pea gravel. So annoying. We hate it. It's uncomfortable. We can't walk on it. It gets dragged in the house. All it's just a pain in our side for like two years, right? And so I, I was telling, I bought a fire pit, and, we're, and I was gonna like hang a TV outside so we could have a fire, watch the games, all that. And then Hannah goes, and this is on Monday morning this week, she goes, I, that's great, honey, but I just, I'm not, I don't want to do that because I just don't feel safe out there. Around the fire, I'm kids tripping and hurting themselves, and I was so fed up with these rocks, I threw a temper tantrum, and I was like, that's it! And I went, I went to my garage, I have this big old crowbar, it's about this tall, I call it Bertha, and uh, I got it during Harvey, it was very good at demoing houses. And, uh, and I got up there, and I, I mean, they had these big old flagstones, about you know, probably 80 pounds. I'm getting on there, I'm lifting them up, and I'm dragging them to the other side, and I'm just throwing a fit out there, trying to just get to the bottom, what's under the rock, so I can figure out how to build something on top of it. I ended up bu building a deck, and it's beautiful. I finished it in like two days, just out of my temper tantrum. Uh, I used it, the good news, I used it to my advantage. We don't always do that, uh, but it's in us. We have a breaking point, right? And in the church world, how this is kind of emulated, now, there is nothing wrong with this. I, I, this should absolutely happen. People should do this, especially if you're moving to a new area or life changes, but church shopping, right? So, but church shopping can turn into a selfish thing, 
okay? Because uh, I'll meet somebody, right? And they're like, oh, we're church shopping or they're visiting. I'm like, oh, awesome. I'm flattered we made the list. You know, really cool. It's a risk. Visiting churches, it really is. I've been to some crazy ones, okay? Uh, you got to have that fight or flight, you know, situation <laughs> in some churches. Um, but they come, but then they say, we've been to 20 of them. We can't just find any that meet our needs. I'm like, what, what are your needs, <laughs> right? Because there's going to be, there's no church. There is no human group out there that is going to meet all your needs. It's not possible, right? We're just not perfect enough for that. And so then I'm thinking, okay, are your needs actually wants? Because truth be told, chances are within that 20, your needs were being met. It's just not what you wanted. Didn't have everything perfect, right? Didn't have the exact number of band members you wanted in a worship band or didn't hit the octaves, or sang the songs that you liked, or the preacher wasn't funny enough. Luckily, he is here. Um, preacher, preacher wasn't funny enough. You know, that kind of stuff. You know, and it's like, what? That toddlerness be kind of like gets into it, and we end up being perpetual church shoppers because we're never satisfied in our own selfishness. But it should change the mold. Your needs might not be needs. They might be wants. You're, and starting a church is hard, and that's kind of one of the things that we, because essentially when you start a ministry, you go, what does the neighborhood need? To be honest, in this area, in the Heights, there's not a lot of needs. It's an affluent place. And so there's not a lot of felt needs that we could have said, hey, we're opening our doors and a community gathers, right? But we had this aha moment. We say it was ours. It was God's, the Holy Spirit speaking to us and, and gave us this idea because we're like, Lord, traditional ways are not going to work here. What do we do, right? And he gave us the idea of action groups. And the truth is, if you don't have a felt need, every human has the need to meet needs. It's built inside of us. And if you don't think that's true, have you never cared for somebody and found satisfaction in that? being able to help somebody, we all have this need to help others. I've never met a person, even if they don't like the person that they're giving to, I've never met a person who begrudgingly gives a gift. Like, even if you, you're not fond of them, we love giving gifts. We just do. That's just how we're, 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 we are designed. And so church transforms from a what am I getting to a, what am I giving? Because it, it initially starts out as, what am I getting? And that's totally understandable. Because a lot of times, and most of us, most of all of us, our journey to churches, there's a scarcity in my life. Something is breaking down, and I can't figure it out. Why don't I go to the one where he created everything? And maybe I can find some help there. And that's okay. That's how we all kind of find Christ. We end up realizing, I don't have all this together, my bubble keeps popping, and I can't control my universe. How about I go to the one who actually controls the universe? That's kind of how we end up in church. And so hopefully along the way, it transforms from not a what am I getting, but what am I giving? And that's when it really starts to get fun. But we fulfill this, I believe, in two ways. Okay, and if you're taking notes, here's the time. Okay, number one, God calls you to serve in his church. We go to church, <coughs> but we are the church. We don't just go to a building and all of a sudden the church. We exist 
as the church, wherever we gather. So if that was the the catch, like we had to have a building, we technically wouldn't be a church because we don't own this building. See what I'm saying? So throughout Scripture, it actually makes more sense. So it's okay in rhetoric to say, oh, I go to church, right? Because <coughs> you're identifying a, a place, a, a, you're, you're making a motion somewhere when there's nothing wrong with that. But to give you a little bit of history, how did the way become associated with a church? So in uh, 313 AD, Constantine, an emperor of Rome, uh, he got saved. He found Jesus, right? Um, and the cool thing was is that he wanted to make it safe for Christians because it wasn't safe at the time. It was actually illegal to be a Christian because they thought it as overthrowing the government. So he decided, I'm going to make it a law, make it legal to be Christian. <clears throat> so in doing this, he kind of made it a, a governmental thing. And it had this adverse effect. He had great intentions, right? He, he really wanted to do well with it. But he, he, he made it to where they could gather, they could own property. Um, <coughs> but we know now, can I get some water? In this thing? Can I get that water? Yes, please. I'm sorry, guys. I'm getting over a sickness, and it is overcoming me right now. Thank you. I'm going to cough through this whole thing if I don't do something. Okay, here we go. That's exactly what I needed right there. Okay, so a property and building is great, and it helps, and I hope to experience that one day as far as Village Heights go. We look forward to that. But church in its origin was completely the people. It was the way. Because literally, until Constantine, they couldn't have anything. They weren't allowed to. So imagine how difficult it was, because if they did gather, if it was just a spot, it would make them a target, and they could essentially be wiped out. There would be no more way. So it is authentically, and it became the way. Mandalorians did not create the way. Jesus was the original Mando. That's for all my nerds out there. Technically, we don't just go to church. We are the church. Paul helps us to understand our gifts in the church's body because we think, well, I want to be a part. How do I serve in his church? And so, because sometimes you might look at me and go like, well, I, I can't pastor. I don't preach. Uh, I don't sing. I sing, but not very well. Uh, I don't play an instrument. Or, you know, you kind of see this kind of thing and you're thinking, I have nothing to offer. That's not true at all. Paul talks about this and he says, Just like the body, Christ's body has many members, and it needs all of them to to function. So it needs arms, fingers, legs, toes, ankles, needs all that. And then there's internal organs, too. There's the heart, lungs, ribs, some of the stuff you don't even see. And he says a body can't function without all of this. He says just the same. You are a part of the church. You are part of Christ's body. You all have a function. And then he goes and lists them out in Romans 12, 6 through 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. 
If it is giving, then give generously. I love that he said generously there. Uh, Then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Serving, teaching, encouragement, giving, leading, kindness, prophecy. And you're looking at those and you're like, I don't know which one of those I am. So I do this little analogy, and if you've heard it before, just work with me. Don't give it away yet. But it's, I call it the apple pie illustration. So let's say we are all at the same table, big Thanksgiving table, whatever. We just had a big meal, and then there's one pie. And you're like, Bill, we're going to give you first crack at it, right? You put the pie in front of me, and everybody's waiting for their piece. And I got a spoon or a fork, and I go to dig in, and I throw it all over my lap, right? Imagine the disappointment. So... This might be some of you. So if you're the kind of person that sees that happen and you start to help clean up, it's like, let me help clean that up for you. That means you're a person of service, okay? If you're the kind of person that goes, Bill, you know, I'm going to buy you another one. That means you're generous. You're you're a giver. That's who you are. Uh, If some of you say, if you start delegating jobs to clean it up, you're like, hey, you get the napkins, you get this, you get the vacuum, all that kind of stuff then you're a leader. That's what leaders do. They begin to organize others for, to complete a mission. If you laugh about it, laugh with me, not at me, okay? Um, if you laugh about it, and you're like, oh, man, that's, that's, it's okay, Bill. It's just a funny thing that happened, right? You're an encourager. You're like, it's okay. It's all right. You're human. We all do that kind of thing, right? And if you're one of those people that go, oh, Bill, I'm so sorry that happened. My heart just hurts for you in this moment. Then that means you're a person of kindness, right? <laughs> you're, a, you're an empathetic person. You want to feel kind for them in that, in that moment. If you stand up and you go, Bill, now there's a better way to eat that pie, right? And you start giving me some steps. Maybe don't fork it this way. Fork it that way so it stays on the table. Then you're a teacher. You're someone that wants to help people learn how to do things better. Then the last one, if you're like, Bill, that was dumb, and you deserved it, right? You should have known better than your gift is prophecy, okay? <laughs> if you should have known, you're like, ah, Bill, come on, you should have known better. Now, I will give you a caveat. Prophecy, people are usually not excited about it because it's usually the I told you so situation, so be ready. Uh, people not, might not be always be on your side. Uh, so today, I hope that like you hear one of those, and you go, man, that kind of resonates with me, right? And so you zero in on the one that you are gifted with, and then work on the others. Because especially if you're prophetic, you need to work on kindness and encouragement. It'll help through the process. So being a part of the house means that God has something for you. Your unique ability, what he has created you with, he has something for you. Because if you're not involved, and here's the catch, if you're not involved That means there is something that God wants to happen, and it's not happening because he wants you to do it. That's a lot of pressure, and I get that. But there are things in this kingdom, for God's kingdom, is not happening because there's some believer out there that doesn't have the courage to step out and use what God has called them to use. There's something that God wants to do using you and only you because he gave you those gifts and abilities to do it. So that's number one. He called us to serve in his church. Number two, God calls you to serve as his church. 
So we serve in the church, we build this up, and we were able to gain momentum, and so then we go outward with it. We go out and serve our community with it. We love others with what we're doing in here. So what does that look like? Jesus defines it well. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, it says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So who are you being a light to? Anybody that can see you. If you can see them, they can see you, okay? And if that's the case, that means they can see your light. That means people you drive by, especially if you have a Village Heights sticker, please remember that. Uh, People you drive by, The people at work and the cubicles that you've never talked, they still see your light. The people you walk by on the street, the people at the restaurant, the table next to you, your server at the restaurant, the barista you got your coffee from this morning, they see you. The people in your house see your light. So don't hide it. Let it shine even more for all to see because We are not saved by good deeds, but we're saved and get to do good deeds in his name because of what he's done in us. These deeds, and this is the cool part about it, and we don't often don't weigh this, the deeds that we get to do, the light that we get to shine has eternal and cosmic value. There are people in your life that you have no idea that your kindness has affected them. Because people don't usually just go, man, thank you so much for, you know, that's just not common nowadays. But somewhere down the line, somebody will go, man, a year ago, when you were there for me, it changed me. And you were like, I didn't know you were listening. I didn't know that, that you even felt that. People see your light. So much so, this is what it says in Matthew. This is what Jesus said to us, Matthew 25, 40. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So Jesus is telling us through this analogy that whatever you have done to the general public, that's my creation, and you're doing it to me. So when you love them, you're loving me. When you flick them off because they cut you off and you did that to me. <laughs> Hopefully that'll help you some of you guys, you know, <laughs> in their road rage, anger. Um, it helps me. And one of the breakdowns in this, I think, in our day and age and culture is that a lot of the things that the church is equipped to do and should be doing, we've replaced it with the government. And honestly, the government is not equipped to get into the mess that is required that Jesus asked us to be in. It's not. It's it's simply not there. It can't be done because the government doesn't want to take sides, but it still does, right? It's kind of ironic how that happens, and it's hard to get into the nitty-gritty when you have to do it from such a far place. You have to be there with the people. So the church is really the one that should be stepping up to meet these felt needs to change lives. Now, I wish that it was better. I wish the government could do more. It'd be easier on us. But that's just a fact of life. That's just how we were created. In Acts 4, 33, 34, 
It says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. See, a lot of Christians and a lot of churches today, they stop at the first part, teaching about Jesus and talking about the resurrection. They do, they'd stop there, and then they don't meet any needs. It, they go hand in hand. Because if we're talking about the love of Jesus, this ultimate love that changed the world, changed the landscape of the government and everything, it has to change us. And it changes us in such a way that we will do crazy things to meet the needs of others, to show them, you matter. You are worth something. You are worth the sacrifice, so much so that Jesus sacrificed himself for you. So God never meant the church to be just a building. The church isn't a building. Churches use buildings, and again, I like to try that someday. And church is the people. And if we can embrace, truly embrace being community crafted, this house, this home will truly be a safe place for wanderers. Because truth be told, we're all wandering. We're all trying to figure this out. That's why there's so many different denominations. That's why there's so many different ways of what we think that get to God, because we're all trying to figure this out. We're all trying to get back connected to the one who made it because we've realized we're not in control. If we were in control, we could stop hurricanes. We could stop all this stuff. There are some things that we can do. Thankfully, science has progressed to the point where we can do some stuff on our own, but ultimately, we can't control death. We can't stop bad things really from happening. They still happen. And so that lets us know that we are broken and we're wandering. And we need a place to bring us back home. So if we step out in boldness and be the light of the world, we'll have people in our life. And this might have been you at one point. You go, I don't understand why you believe what you believe. It sounds outlandish, but I like it. Because of the outcome, what it, how kind it causes you to be, how generous, how loving you are, it has, there has to be something to this. And they want to find out more. In John 13, I talked about it last week. He talks about how we will, they will know we are his followers because of how we love. Not because of a building. Not because of signage or cool church merch. We'll have all those things, and I'm all for that kind of stuff. But that's not the reason people should know us. They should know us because of our love. Our willingness to get into the mess with them. And so this is what I see as Village Heights' future as we continue on. I see a church where people give more than they receive, where people serve more than they've been served, where people love more than they've been loved, passionate about reaching the next generation, people who don't judge those without Christ but love them into the family of God, where everyone uses their gifts to the church to help quit the body of Christ, and they use their gifts in the church to truly make us a light in this world. That is my hope, to contribute to this kaleidoscope that we call Village Heights, all filled with these unique personalities, unique colors, unique abilities, all moving in the same direction, focused on the one light that matters, Jesus, 
making beautiful things happen. And what feels to us like chaos, but it's truly beautiful. And so we need your unique part to shine, to be community crafted. So real quick, easy way to do that. One, start serving in the house. I believe it, like, we believe this is a home. That's why we don't do membership, you know, kind of thing. Be like, we're a family here, right? And so when you're introduced to a family, the first meal, you're a guest, you don't do anything, right? You come to the table, you don't clean anything up, all the food is made. You start coming a few times, you're family now, okay? Maybe it's time to clean up a dish or take out the trash or help prepare the meal, you know, a.k.a. load and unload a trailer, you know, that kind of, that kind of stuff, how it translates to us. Um, but you do for others what others did for you. They created a place for you to feel comfortable and welcome. Do the same. Create a place for others to feel welcome. So that's number one. Number two, make a commitment to serve with us. Easy as pie in this season, right? Thanksgiving baskets coming. Hannah just talked about it. She's about to talk about them again, right? Thanksgiving baskets. It's one of the great things that we do. A lot of fun. Um, so be a part of that. It's one of the easiest ways, right, to not just get yourself involved, but to get other people involved at work and in your community. Because you can go to people and say, hey, do you like it that people don't have a Thanksgiving meal? And they'll go, of course not. Like, great. Join in with me, right? We're going to help some people have some meals for Thanksgiving, right? Easy on-ramp. Uh, then after that, we do the 12 days of Christmas, where it challenges us to step out of our box and out of our comfort zone to love others in a unique way that draws them back to Christ. Hopefully, they'll come, you know, to one of our Christmas services. Simply helping out on Sundays, making this happen. And if you're feeling real adventurous, go exercise some squatter rights on a, on a vacant building for us, please. Uh, we'll, we'll figure out the legalities of it. Uh, number three, consider being a part of Village Heights Beyond. Village Heights. And you're like, what do you mean by that? We partner with so many organizations that get together, Houston Welcome Refugees, Elijah Rising, Rooted Conferences, local schools. The list goes on and on and on and on because we try to be community crafted, right? We create opportunities for you to leverage your gifts and abilities beyond Sunday. Be a part of that. Join in with us. If you're one of those people that are like, I don't think my gift can be used here we will find a way. Hannah's really good at that. She's really good at getting creative and finding ways. And I kind of piggyback on her with that. Uh, this is more than just a village heights journey. It is a whole Christ-like journey. We want to see God come alive, not just here on Sundays, but every day of the week and everything that you're doing, because that's the way it was meant to be, because that's movement. That is what it means to be a part of the way. Village Heights isn't the only one doing great things. There's many others that are doing great things. So find a place to serve and see what God does. Because if you do that, if you take that step of faith out, you say, Lord, I don't know if what I have to offer is great, and you offer it anyways, you will know what he says in Scripture. is, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. It will change how you view your job. It will change how you view your family, your home. It will change how you view your street, your friends. Everywhere you go, how you act in a restaurant, how you drive your car, it will change everything. So help us expand our abilities to strive in being community crafted. Bring your unique skill set here Help us to reach out to this community because the hard truth is, is that if you're like, I don't, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't know. 
this ain't the place for you. And that sounds crazy for a pastor to say, but I would rather have people that are on board than not on board, okay? I want people that are like, yes, I want to use my gifts for something awesome. I want to see God come alive on a Tuesday at my office. I want to see something cool. That excites me. But if that scares you, this ain't the place for you, okay? So a good kaleidoscope requires many unique attributes, all moving in their own unique way. As the church, we all need to bring our own unique attributes in its own unique ways to make God's beauty happen here, to be his church. So help us be more community crafted than we've ever been. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we get to be a part of that journey. Lord, you didn't just come and say you had to be this one type of person and you had to be this. You said, no, you gave us unique abilities, each one of us, that we can contribute to the kingdom to be a part of the body of Christ. And Lord, for some of us, we've taken some steps and we've exercised some of that. And Lord, for those people, I pray that you extend us further. Lord, show us new ways to use our abilities that you've given us for the kingdom. And Lord, for those of us who are struggling with that, they they like, I don't know if this is, can be offered. Lord, give us the courage to step out in faith and say, I know what God has created me to do. I know the gifts that God has given me, and I'm going to use it for his glory, not just for my own. And Lord, as, as a group, as we organize continually to, be, to reach out to this community, help us see the attributes. Help us see the unique and creative ways, just like you were creative when you stepped down on earth with us to reach this community, not just for fun, not just for, and although it is fun, not just for just the sake of that, but to bring people to you, to grow your kingdom, to bring people back to the creator. Help us be the church the way you have called us to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.